Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and we're talking today about Chelsea and the archives that Cadogan holds on the area. We're speaking to Kira Sharatan, who's Head of Archives at Cadogan, uh, and she's going to talk us through just some, uh, a bit of a history lesson really on um, recent history over the 20th century, looking at, at some of the amazing characters from uh, Chelsea and the King's Road and, and thinking about some of what we can learn from previous crises and how the area emerged from the two world wars and, and how it bustled its way through the 60s and what some of the things are that we can take away from that as we hopefully look towards a roaring 20s now so kira what what are some of the things that you think we can take away from uh, from previous generations and, and what should we be looking forward to now looking back over the last 100 years we've had various crises. Um, probably the most profound have been the two world wars. And looking at Chelsea at a local level, because of course they're national, international crises, but how they played out on a local level was afterwards, after this great weight has been lifted, there's a sort of crises that they've been transformative. And we see this massive flourishing of arts, of culture, of music, of fashion, and Chelsea has been the epicentre of that. So yes, I think after the current crises, uh, the pandemic, we are going to have the most wonderful Roaring Twenties, definitely. And, and if we look back 100 years to, to the last Roaring Twenties, what, what was going on in Chelsea at the time? What, what were some of the things that, that, that came through after the First World War? Um, I think... You've got to just give it a bit of context where at that time, Chelsea was the artistic quarter of London. I think in 1921 census, Chelsea had the greatest population of working artists in London. And it's always had this bohemian edge and a very diverse um, population where you've got your artists, your artisans, your shopkeepers, teachers, policemen, everybody that functions uh, helps the society and the neighbourhood, the community function. But then you've also got your mansions, your luxury houses, your phenomenal shopping, and this sort of all these different layers of people mixing together. And it's this massive creative melting pot. And throw in a crisis where the normal social structures are, are thrown up in the air. And it comes down and people are doing things differently they're doing things anew and it's it really has been over the it, it, after the first world war we had the emergence of the bright young things which was a movement of these bohemians and aristocrats um who were i think in search of freedom both artistically and musically um, you have Chelsea with all its artist studios and the parties. You have jazz, which must have been if the soundtrack of the 1920s. Your flappers, your parties. You had Cecil Beaton, who was partying with the Prince of Wales and Wallace Simpson and Sylvie Maugham. And it was characters almost from an Evelyn War novel. Um, and it was all happening in Chelsea. You have the Chelsea Arts Club. You have... Chelsea School of Art, you have these wonderful institutions as well. You have the Royal Court Theatre that really um, centralise and epitomise emerging talent. 
and made Chelsea a sort of a hotbed and a focus for creativity and new movements and exciting things happening. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and Sir Cecil Beaton was, was quite a renowned photographer, wasn't he? Rose to fame in the 20s, taking photos, as you mentioned, of the bright young things, then became established as a royal photographer, apparently. Um, served as the official war photographer during World War Two. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah. There's a lot of... A, a lot of interesting characters but I think just looking at the personalities and the just the creativity that came out of the area it was absolutely phenomenal and we see the same in fact after the second world war as well um, when obviously we have the swing 60s happening on the King's Road but maybe that's another uh, we'll, we'll touch on that later on in our, in our talk but I think as well that what actually happened during the crises itself certainly during the First World War um, was quite phenomenal because you, you see the local community in Chelsea really pull together um, the archives tell us that we had uh, in in a lot of there are a lot of garden squares in Chelsea with these typical sort of beautiful Victorian or Georgian terraces surrounding a communal garden square, and they were all given over to planting and growing of food uh, during the war, or for the digging in of troops. In fact, I mean Chelsea was a really really different place. If you'd have sort of turned up there in in 1940 1941, it would have looked so so different and one can only some of it was quite industrial wasn't it um very much there were a lot of factories and a lot of workshops um and it always has had this quite diverse usage of its land from your shops your local high streets to your small factories and brewers by the river and on the corner of what's now manresa road in chelsea square um Mm. there was the Cadogan Joinery, which was a woodworking business, and it began making aircraft wings. And then close by, we had a pottery in Elston Street, which was owned by Reginald Fairfax Wells, which is a name you might be familiar with. Um, Very big name in aviation, certainly later on. But he began making um, fuselages for aeroplanes there, and his business grew to became the Wells Aviation Company, and they ended up making a massive plane in Jubilee Place, which is quite incredible. Also, another first for Chelsea was at this time, the men were uh, working on factory floors. But um, during the First World War, with so many men going to the front, uh, women began taking some of these roles. And the Wells Aviation Company was a, a great first for Chelsea in that it employed women alongside men on the factory floor. And pr- prior to the First World War, of course, this was unheard of. And it was a great social change where it became acceptable for women to work mm. and earn their own living and quite a substantial, well, a reasonable living as well. So, yeah, that was a great first for Chelsea. We'll have to, you can find some of the original adverts that, that Wells Aviation had. Um, some of, some of the, the, the vintage adverts are actually on the internet. We'll, we'll try and pull a couple of off to, uh, to, to use on social media with this post. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, how, how these things... 
are so cyclical and actually aviation is obviously one of those industries where women aren't particularly highly represented at the minute uh, and it's obviously something that, that does need to change um and what else i mean and how does that obviously those factories are, are long gone aren't they now um the, the thought of actually doing any kind of uh industrial work within uh within the center of town is, is unthinkable what what and what's happened to some of those sites over the years, Kira? What 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 has become of of those those factories? Um, a lot of them have evolved and been developed. As you know, the price of land has increased markedly over the last hundred years, and real estate in the area has meant that a lot of the land has been given over to housing. Um, and it's quite interesting because, in fact on the site of Morris Motors, which was on uh, Flood Street, um, there was a large site there and that became Swan Court, which was a massive development in the 1930s. Uh, I think between 31 and 37 it was built. Mm. Um, And that was a new uh, sort of a new development for a modern way of living. And I think under the pressure of uh, the growth and expansion of London and how people just their changing lives and their changing wants and needs um, meant that Chelsea doesn't really have, I mean, most of central London doesn't have any manufacturing anymore. Mm. No, absolutely. And that's obviously uh, one of the challenges that that we're facing. But, But I have to say that that Chelsea still has a place for a lot of artisans. And I think that is different, where you just still have a lot of creatives, a lot of people developing new things there, and a lot of specialists. And, and the artisan come, sort of element comes through in the, in the retail and the specialist uh, craftsmanship um, in some of the areas. What is it that sits at the heart of all that? What is it, as a na- what is it that's enabled all of these things to thrive over the years because the Cadogan estate has been in single ownership for, for, for over 300 years, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I think stewardship is a central part of Cadogan and Cadogan's ethos. And that is the idea of long-term investment and long-term good of the locale, of the community, of this area for which Cadogan are responsible, owning a lot and managing a lot of of Chelsea. And in terms of in in terms of post World War One, what 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 did that then look like as we as we came towards World War Two and and coming out of that? How did how did the area evolve, given what it had to go through during the First World War? You're looking at bricks and mortar. And you're also looking at the characters who popped up in the area. Um, In terms of the evolution of the physical, um, we had massive developments after the First World War. Uh, I think the UK was in a difficult financial position after the war. Um, There was a massive stock market boom and then bust. Um, But Cadogan really consolidated and invested in the local area for them there was this was the age of the department store and 
at the north end of Sloane Street, in fact, on Knightsbridge only initially, was Harvey Nichols. And in 1923, um, they purchased some further buildings from Cadogan along Sloane Street and um, expanded along Sloane Street in the north. And that became a major department store. And then in the south of Sloane Street, on Sloane Square, really, you have Peter Jones, the department store. Um, and that originally was a draper's and it had grown out of two or three Victorian houses um, that had slowly been taken over more and more of the block because of the success of the business. And in 1932, that was redeveloped as well. And that became a central hub, an anchor at the south end of Sloane Street. Um, and the whole area sort of took off and became a, a, a great retail centre. Um, mm. And that, that was very, very exciting. We also had a lot of new development throughout the estate um, on, on a sort of residential level as people's expectations, societal expectations changed from... Uh, previously, people there was huge demand for these wonderful uh, Edwardian mansion flats, um, which were very opulently decorated. But post First World War and between the wars, you suddenly had this these new artistic movements and this new way of thinking where people were interested in function, in 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 clarity of of design, the sort of whole. Bauhaus element that took off as well later on. Mm. Um, you, you can see echoes of this in in some of the 1930s uh, developments with the clean lines, the Art Deco, and um, the sort of clutter-free developments. And, and and some of those some of those trends are coming back again now, aren't they? Uh, when, you, when you think about some of the architecture we're seeing, possibly I think architecture itself and sort of trends tend to. Uh, happen cyclically don't they they sort of come around but they're never quite the same as they were before there's always sort of new elements it's it's not necessarily returning to the same point in the circle it's sort of evolved slightly and yes I think we we can potentially draw on similar influences but I think trends are happening and new things are happening now as never before but it's often only through the lens of history that you can see clearly what those new trends are when you're actually living through them it's very difficult to differentiate no absolutely so kira when everyone thinks about chelsea clearly they they think about the 60s they think about the stones vivian westwood malcolm mclaren how did chelsea emerge from world war ii how did it get to the the the, the rough and tumble and bustle of the 60s as everyone knows it i think you've got to remember this sort of whole bohemian history of Chelsea and the creative history of Chelsea and the diverse neighbourhood that went through these crises and pulled together and how people under these new con the constraints in their life during these these uh, periods during the wars they they sort of met people they wouldn't have normally met and they interacted in ways they wouldn't have normally done which form new social sort of conduits for communication and I think that is one of the elements that meant that after the second world war 
Immediately afterwards, you had celebrations in the street, as you did right across London. And then there seems to be almost a lull whilst people pulled themselves together and recovered slightly themselves. I mean, the country was still under rationing until 1954. And then when you see the country emerging and Chelsea emerging from the hardship of the war, um, sort of mid-50s, you get Mary Quant opening her boutique. And where did she want to do so? On the King's Road, because of the exciting people. I think Quant herself mentioned that she was creating clothes for people like her that were different, um, things that they wanted to wear, stuff that hadn't been seen before. She Uh, was responsible for the Chelsea look, wasn't she, Mary Quant? (laughs) Famously so. And the miniskirt has also been attributed to her. She popularised coloured tights, which previously weren't a thing. And, um, Didn't she also popularise mad lounge pyjamas as well? Lots of stuff, lots they of things. Pyjamas that she apparently designed for Harper's Bazaar magazine. Um, she was absolutely incredible. And PVC used, which pre- in fashion, which previously hadn't been used at all. I mean, she was, she was a real revolutionary, fashion revolutionary. Um, and there, she, she was one of a number of people that came to prominence on the King's Road in the 60s. And the whole culture that was there was absolutely phenomenal. And and I think it was an evolution from the bright young things who'd sort of stalked the area um, 30 years previously, 20 years previously. It was a sort of the place to be seen, the place where you could be free, you could have different thoughts, different ideas, and Chelsea would allow that to happen. And I think that's why it became the centre of Swinging 60s London. And, 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 and what, what were the impact? What, what was the impact of, I guess, the stores, the boutiques that people like Mary opened and ran? How did they, how did they influence everyone around them? Did they become essentially central hubs for people did they you know were they gathering spots or or was it was it more subtle i think you're right the boutiques themselves and there were many of them there was hung on you there was hundreds of them right along the king's road they were frequented by famous actors pop stars um the whole sort of cafe culture on the king's road of restaurants and bars it was an incredible area, the experience of the area, the place to be seen, the place to live, it's where things were happening. Um, I think Jimi Hendrix shopped on the King's Road, as did Mick Jagger, um, and obviously the Stones also lived in the area. Um, uh, There was so much going on, um, musically as well, the jazz clubs um, that that famously were there, that the Clockwork Orange was filmed in the Chelsea drugstore, which was the first of its kind, um, one of these multi-experience retail outlets where you could buy records and it had lots of different concession booths. Um, That's ironic, isn't it? Because, I mean, you go into a modern-day barbers and and that's what you've got now. You've got coffee shops, you've got music, and, yeah, I mean, Kubrick was was, was quite a visionary, but that, that, that whole aesthetic of... Uh, of of, uh, of slightly naughty milk, which is basically what they sold. Um, <laughs> seems, uh, yeah, very, very Chelsea. 
but it was it was the vivacity and the that sort of slightly risque creativity which i think drove its its appeal in the in the 60s and also 70s obviously you mentioned um vivian westwood and Mal- uh, malcolm mclaren and she famously had her boutique on at the far end of the king's road at the world's end and the, the whole of the king's road was uh, full of the, if that sort of feel um you had your mods your rockers your punks everybody plus chelsea pensioners you know and your uh, your sloan rangers of the 80s uh, sort of coming onto the scene then and and everybody sort of mixed on the king's road it was just the most bizarre area and great fun as well but certainly yeah, vivian westwood describes her boutique let it rock very much as a crucible um, and, and with Malcolm McLaren, who managed the Sex Pistols, um, it was their first boutique, very much seen as a, as a testing ground for, for fashion and, and something that many people saw as selling the uniforms of socioeconomic rebellion. So I guess it's very easy to think that, that Chelsea's position as this global centre of fashion started in the early 70s with, with Vivian Westwood's shop, but actually it, it, it began a lot more it began a lot earlier didn't it Kira? Absolutely I think Charles II famously um, uh, travelled down the King's Road from his palaces uh, the link between his palaces at Westminster and Hampton Court he created the King's Road and um, he was the creator of the three-piece suit Um, so he he was possibly the first fashionista that that uh, traveled down the king's road um and ever since we've had on sloan street for instance has always been uh, the place where people in the late 18th early 19th century would go to have uh, their dresses made or uh, to, to to find a milliner um and there have always been people producing clothes and fashion as a whole being a major uh, retail element on the estate yes so i mean thinking about this burst of creativity that we obviously saw in the 60s what what do you see about the current situation that that's similar what what are some of the lessons that you think we're going to be able to learn from the past and apply now as we look towards the roaring 20s i think the main lessons are to do with community, drawing on newfound strengths. During the current crisis, uh, people had a more local focus. They shopped locally uh, when they could for food um, and became more connected with the local area, with outdoor spaces. And I think that going forward, that's going to be a very positive element where they look to their local environment and their neighbourhood um, a lot more and they're a lot more involved in, in what's happening locally. And that, that and that's typified by some of the some of the investment that Cadogan's been making over the last few years. We have developments like Pavilion Road, which is the perfect post pandemic retail development, really. Lots of artisanal produce, local independence serving people in in the locality that that, that that they live where they live and and those are the sorts of and it, you know, that's the sort of thing that i think we'd probably like to see more of now isn't it yeah i think there's a massive move to 
local shopping and especially where those amenities are well loved and known by the by the local population by the neighborhood and and when it comes to some of the some of the cultural landmarks in the area what what do you see as being the future for uh, things like Cadogan Hall and, and 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 other other establishments they are integral to the area i think these great artistic institutions add so much more and as has been seen historically have helped chelsea act like a magnet to creatives and these great institutions are so much more than the sum of their parts um Cadogan hall saatchi gallery um, Royal Court Theatre, just to name a few. I mean, we used to have Chelsea Arts College, which has now, of course, moved out of the area. But there are these immensely powerful institutions which act like glue and consolidate people's sort of artistic expertise. You have people from right across the world coming to perform at Cadogan Hall. And it's there for people in Chelsea to enjoy it's also to do with, I think, how the Cadogan estate has managed various areas where as this idea of stewardship, this idea of being one, one of London's great estates, with this long-term perspective, you want to have institutions such as Cadogan Hall, which don't necessarily turn a profit, certainly not in the short term, but they add so much more to the area. And when you have other things like houses and offices and shops, they, it sort of works together holistically to create a more substantial whole. Hmm. And, there's, and there's some fantastic new uh, businesses coming to the area, a new store openings from Balenciaga, um, Burberry. Um, who else have we got? I mean, Polo Ralph Lauren, coming to Sloan Square uh, and, and not, not forgetting the Beaverbrook townhouse, which is set to open later in the summer. So there's still many, many amazing brands and, 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 and businesses that want to come and be part of that community, Kira. What, what, I mean, what do you think, um, what do you think that the biggest lesson we can learn from, you know, from a hundred years ago is if there's one thing you think we can we can take forward and learn learn what what do you think that is i think it's resilience and creativity well thank you very much then to kira sharatan head of archives at cadogan thank you so much i've been andrew teacher from blackstock consulting thanks very much for listening if you'd like to uh find out anything more about the the cadogan archives do drop us an email uh and, and absolutely do just get on your bike and and, and uh, cycle down have a walk around uh and pretty soon everything's going to be up and bustling again chelsea and bloom's going to be on later in the year there's going to be all of those new store openings that we talked a bit about um, and, and hopefully we can look forward to the roaring 20s that kira talked about there so you can catch up on any of our other propcast episodes on apple on spotify uh, and you can get in touch with us over social media thanks very much for listening we'll see you again soon